Good. Well, we are in our message series called Anything Goes, which is addressing questions that some of you submitted. Uh, we had a, a bunch of questions submitted. We picked the ones that the most people submitted we thought would, would maybe speak the most to the questions on the hearts of our, our church. And so today we get one that's fun. It's, and here's the question. Can women preach, teach, and be pastors? Now, some of you are like, why are we even asking that question? And what I love is, is the people saying, why are we even asking this, are coming at it from two sides. Some of you are like, the Bible clearly says, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, women cannot, should not teach or have authority over a man. Case closed. And some of you are like, yo, it's 2021, okay? Like, go women, right? Like, pro, we're pro-women, right? And you can't understand the other side. And you're like, why are we even asking this question? And uh, so we're, But we're going to dig into it today. And no holds barred. We're going to go strong. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I find a lot of the time in my life, I look around and I don't quite understand why some else holds another opinion like I'm always surrounded by conspiracy theorists for some reason and some of you get it because you're the conspiracy theorist in my life like I swear I've had I've had multiple conversations in the last six months about how the earth is flat okay uh, we're not doing a message series on that but the earth is not flat okay let me just just say that today but I'm surrounded by people with different opinions and it's it's important to understand where other people are coming from uh, and in the Christian faith there are some beliefs that are essential you have to believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father you have to put your trust in him to be saved. But you don't have to sing hymns or contemporary worship songs on a Sunday. And you don't have to believe the same thing about women in ministry. So by the end of today, you may be like, yo, I'm in a different place than where Founders at. Or I'm in a different place than where Elijah's at. And that's okay. This is not a heaven or hell issue. But here's, here's what we want us to focus in on. We want to be submitted to the word of God, whatever it says. So whatever the Bible leads us to, we want to believe it and obey it, even if it cuts against what you want. There are plenty of times where I want to do something and God in his word has said no, and so I don't do it. And so as we go to God's word today, I just, I just want to say that as a church, more than anything else when it comes to the Bible, we want to be obedient and submissive to God's word, whatever it says. So with, with those two things set, that this is not a heaven or hell issue, and there can be disagreement on this, and you can disagree with the person sitting next to you on this, and it's not as cut and dry as the earth being flat or not flat. Like, this is, this is there's some ambiguity here, I admit. Uh, ultimately, we're going to submit ourselves to the Word of God. Okay, so here, let's jump in today and talk about this. Uh, and so we're going to be all over the Bible today. And at some points, I'm going to be just saying verses. And if you want to jot those down or try to flip those, you can. We're going to be going a lot of different places. We're also going to have some of the verses on the screen to help you follow along when we go to bigger chunks of text. Um, some of you, again, are not interested in this question, but bear with us today, because this is a question that I think is pretty important in our world today about can women preach, teach, and be pastors. Okay, I'm going to start off today by, by explaining why a lot of people believe that women can be pastors. And then we're going to go to what some, of the, some of the key texts in the Bible that suggest women shouldn't be pastors. And then we're going to try to pull it all together and say, what does this mean for our lives? You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay. And I'm also, I may get into one of the weirdest verses in the Bible that no one has ever explained. I've never heard anyone talk about it in church. And we may talk about it today if we have time. We'll see where we go. This will be fun. I'm also going to tell you why I changed my belief on women in ministry uh, from what I believed at one point to what I believe now. It'll be fun. There's just so much to share. I can't wait to get into it. So here we go. What, what is the, what's the positive case for women in ministry? Why would we think that women could be in ministry, could be preachers and teachers and pastors? It really starts off, a lot of people will start off with this verse that'll be up on the screen right here, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This is a quote from Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes in the day of Pentecost, this is the start of the church. And the person saying these words on the screen behind me is Peter. He's giving this big speech, this big sermon in front of everyone. And he's saying, look, what you're seeing right now, the Holy Spirit poured out, is what God has said from the very beginning. And he quotes from the Old Testament. And he quotes this prophecy that God's Spirit will be poured out on both men and women, and both the sons and the daughters will prophesy. In other words, God is going to pour himself and his gifts onto all people. And so this is pretty foundational because this is at the very beginning of the church, and this is what's said is men and women will be used by God to prophesy, to speak the words of God to the people of God. So then you go a step further. This is where we're going to start running through a lot of different passages. But if you go to the next slide here, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Here's the key. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What this doesn't mean is that gender ceases to matter or that ethnicity ceases to matter or here for them, slave and free ceases to matter. All these things matter. They're parts of who we are. But in Christ, we're joined together and there's equality before Jesus. There is there's this sense that we are all in it together. In fact, later in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how we all share in the same spirit who gives the same gifts to all people. And so there's this sense then, okay, this growing sense in the Christian community early on. Paul's writing this. He's saying, look, there's no distinctions. We want to create human distinctions here. We're not saying that there's, there's, like, there's obviously male and female. He gets it. But he's saying when it comes to the church, we're not dealing with distinctions. Now, this right here doesn't say, okay, women in ministry. You can believe all of that and not believe in women in ministry. But it's kind of pointing you towards this potential conclusion of women in ministry. Now, let's get into the practical side of it a little bit. In Matthew chapter 28, I believe it's verse 10, the angel comes and Jesus has risen from the dead. The angel appears to the women who show up first and he says, hey, go and tell my brothers where to meet me. Tell them I rose from the dead. And so the very first people to take the gospel and to proclaim the good news that Jesus rose from the dead to men were women. Now look, this right here doesn't mean that women can be pastors. What it tells us is that God uses women to communicate his word, to prophesy, to teach other people. You don't have to believe that happens in the church, but we have like scriptural evidence this happens. Another place where we see this sort of thing happening is Acts chapter 18, verse 26. The book of Acts tells the history of the early church, how God moved. And in Acts chapter 18, you get this story of a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, always when these two people show up, the name of the wife comes first, Priscilla. And this is key because back in this culture, almost always the name of the husband came first, but it's key they're putting the name of the wife first. It just kind of indicates something about the couple. And Priscilla and Aquila teach this guy named Apollos the way of Jesus. They teach him about what it means to follow Jesus, about the baptism of the Spirit. Apollos goes on to be one of the most powerful early Christian leaders. And he was taught and trained by this couple, but including a woman, Priscilla and Aquila. So you have evidence, right, of this woman who is teaching and training this man who goes on to be one of the great Christian leaders. Now, he's not in the church, right, when they're doing this, but still there's a discipleship relationship here. Then you go to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, we're told that women in the Corinthian church prayed and prophesied. 
So they, now, now prophecy, we, we don't do a lot of prophecy these days. Uh, prophecy looks different. Uh, many people would argue today prophecy is what I'm doing right now. I'm communicating God's word and his will to the people of God. So a lot of people say that is prophecy. Uh, but in this time, prophecy would be, so, would be someone who is standing in front of the church communicating God's will or something God has said to them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's clear. Women prophesy in the church. Women pray in the church. They're up front. They're leading. They're prophesying. And they're praying. So you got all this going on. Okay, then you go one step further. And this, to me, is, is probably the clearest evidence, if you want to argue pro-women in ministry, is this verse right here. Can we go to the, the Romans 16 verse? There's actually two verses. Verses, the verses 1 and verses 7 of Romans 16. And this is what Paul writes. He's wrapping up his letter. He's giving all these greetings to people. And he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Now, a deacon was a particular role. In the early church, Paul writes about two different levels of leadership. You have elders and you have deacons. Now, it's a little more complicated than that, but those are the two, in a local church, your two main levels. The deacons first show up in the beginning of the book of Acts. The apostles are overwhelmed. They have too much work. They can't take care of all the ministry, so they appoint deacons. The word deacon means servant. In some of your translations of this verse, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it may be translated servant, Phoebe, a servant. But it's very clear in this context that she is a deacon in the church because he's writing to people in the church about people in the church. And a deacon was one of the roles, one of the positions of authority in the church. Now, a lot of people would say, well, she couldn't have been a deacon because Paul says later that deacons should be husbands, a husband of one wife, obviously thinking they'd be men, right? But here's the thing. That means that I shouldn't be your pastor because I don't have a wife. Like, if, if we take that as, like, you have to be, you have to be a husband of one wife to be a deacon, then that means any single person, including Paul and including Jesus, should not be a leader in the church. And so just because it says that, that's his guideline. In other words, you shouldn't have three wives and be a leader in the church, okay? Can we agree that's a good rule? But what he's not saying is that if you, if you don't have a wife, or even if you're a woman, you can't be. It's not forbidding it. And here, incredibly clear evidence, I believe, that Phoebe was a deacon. Now, you can interpret that how you want, but this is right here. Okay, then verse 7. So we skip a few verses. He's greeting other people and, you know, Hermione and everybody else he's greeting. I don't know, Hogwarts. Or I don't know. So he's greeting people. And then he says, greet Andronicus. That's a male name. And Junia, that's a female name. So this dude and this woman, we don't know much about them. We know this. They're Paul's fellow Jews who've been in prison with him. And then this, this is the real key line here. They are outstanding. In other words, they're top notch. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. So he's talking about these amazing apostles, Andronicus and Junia. Junia is a woman. Now, a lot of us, when we think of apostles, we think of the, the original 12 followers of Jesus. And then Judas killed himself. They appointed another one. And then Paul, as well, became an apostle. We think, okay, that's our set number of apostles. And they were apostles in a unique way. But there were other people who are considered apostles in the New Testament. People who are sent, they oversee, they empower, they equip. And we're told that Junia was one of these. In Paul's writings and teachings, and you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, he talks about the spiritual gifts and the top spiritual gift he puts. He says, first of all, there are no better spiritual gifts than others, but first there's, that I love that about Paul, he's just very real, he's like, it's all equal, it's all equal, but here's the number one, okay? Here's the number one equal thing. The number one equal thing he said, apostles, and then he says prophecy, and then he says teaching. 
And so we, we have very clear evidence that Junia is an apostle, that there were prophetesses or prophets who were females in the early church. And so you have, you have this evidence. Now, take what you want with that. Like a lot of us are like, okay, of course, women can be in ministry. But then a lot of you are sitting here thinking, hold up, but aren't there other verses? Aren't there other things that might suggest that just because the Bible says that women can prophesy and the Holy Spirit comes on all people and the Holy Spirit gives gifts like he wants and the top gifts are apostleship and prophecy and women can be apostles and prophets and we see here Phoebe's a deacon, doesn't that, doesn't that settle the case? And, and that, it doesn't settle the case because we get these other verses. So the next verse we're going to go to is, and we're going to be in these next couple of verses a little bit longer, so if you've got your Bible and you want to flip there, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we'll be in verses 33 to 35. And this is what it says. This is, there's about two places in the Bible people go to say women should not be in ministry or shouldn't be pastors or shouldn't be teachers or shouldn't be in ministry at all. And here's where they go. Here's place number one. And uh, right to the Corinth church. Now, a good thing to keep in mind whenever you're reading something in Corinthians is that the Corinthians were one messed up church. Like, like there, there's like some good churches, like Philippi in the Bible is a good church. Like they're solid, they're nice. They got white picket fence in front of their church. It's like everything is supposed to be like it is. The Corinthians are the ones like, and it's like a lot of your houses this week. You walk in and it's just mass chaos. All right, that's a Corinthian church. So they just got issues they're dealing with. And Paul writes this. He says, "For God is not a God of disorder, but He's a God of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people." And here's where it gets fun. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're, was that a woman who made that sound? <laughs> they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Amen? amen. amen. I heard a woman say amen. Amen. <laughs> This is like, you know, I know face masks are controversial. What if we handed out foundry-themed gags for all the women coming in? <laughs> Please place, place your gag on. Now, here, here's the thing. This means something, right? We can't look at this and say, ah, ha, 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 Paul's so cute. This means something, and whatever it means, we submit ourselves to it. If we interpret this and faithfully interpret it, and it means women don't say a word at foundry, you know what we're going to do? Uh -oh. We're going to obey it. Now, it doesn't mean that, thankfully, okay? All the women are like, oh, okay. Thought I'd have to leave this church for a second. It doesn't mean that, but here's, here's the point. We are going to submit ourselves faithfully to God's word, whatever it says. So what does this mean? Well, in chapter 11, like we've already said, Paul talks about women prophesying and praying. So Paul's already told the Corinthian people, you're going to have ladies up front prophesying. You're going to have ladies up front praying. So he doesn't mean women can't speak. He seems to be addressing a very particular issue. And even the most conservative people on this issue who are like women can't teach or can't preach or can't be pastors, they're still not going to say women need to not say a word in church. Paul seems to be addressing an issue here where you have women, likely uneducated women, because in this culture women didn't have very much education, likely uneducated women causing disruption during the church service by asking questions, by maybe standing up and sharing something that they are not in a position of authority to share, they don't understand, and women who are speaking out because they've got this freedom in Christ, right? The, the church lifted up women and gave, elevated their status, elevated their freedom, and they're abusing that and causing disruption. And so Paul's saying, hey, don't do that. If any one of you ladies are, have a big question, don't shout out to your husband across the room like, yo, what did Elijah mean by that? What do you think he meant by that? Or, yo, I think that's a dumb point. Like, let's, can we talk about that at home, husband? Don't do that in here. Paul's saying, 
shut up if you're going to do that. All right? And apparently, it was, it was the ladies who were causing this issue. With the newfound freedom, there was ladies who were causing this issue. Now, now Paul never says all this. We have to read and interpret and understand what he's saying by this and try to understand the cultural context. And so this is what Paul seems to be saying. It's disgrace for a woman to speak in church. They should remain silent. They're not allowed to speak. But he also says they can prophesy and they can pray. And so this clearly doesn't mean women can't speak in church. Um, some people say, well, it means they can't speak, like they can't be up on, on, like in front speaking. But we know, again, they're prophesying and they're praying. So this verse... Although it meant something contextually, it still speaks to us today, does not forbid women from being in ministry. It just doesn't. I don't see a way to interpret this without shutting women up entirely and gagging women entirely in the church and saying, keep your mouth shut while you're in the church. I don't see a way to interpret this where it, it says something that women shouldn't be in ministry. But then, here's where we get to the real one. And this is like, this is the big kahuna. This, this is the one where you read this and you're like, yeah, women shouldn't be in ministry. Let's go to the next one here. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. A little context for this. Uh, starting in verse 8, Paul starts with the men because the men, you always got to set the men straight first because they're usually the biggest issue. And he comes to the men and he says, men, I don't want you to lift your holy hands and anger and quarreling. I want you to get along. Whenever Paul says something, he's not just saying it. It's because there's an issue with it. Paul's saying, men, apparently you're fighting. And he's writing to Timothy, who was one of his disciples. Timothy was leading the churches in Ephesus, a Greek city at the time. So apparently the men in Ephesus were fighting. He says, don't fight. Then he turns to the women. He says, ladies, you need to stop trying to dress up and attract so much attention. He says, ladies, stop, because apparently that was an issue. He says, don't, don't do this and don't wear this and don't look like this. Be modest. Here's, what, here's how you need to live your life. And then he jumps into verse 11. He says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. I hadn't decided if I was going to address it. I'm going to address it. Verse 15. We've got to start off here. It has nothing to do with women in ministry necessarily, but what is this women will be saved through childbearing? That's weird, right? It's like you're not saved if you're a woman until you have a kid. Is that what it means? I've never heard anyone speak about this. Is that what it means? Like, ladies, let's have, let's have some babies then, right? Like, so that's not what it means, uh, almost certainly. In fact, it just doesn't because we know we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It means one of two things. Uh, either women um, going through childbirth at this time uh, often had a like, high level. In fact, childbirth was the number one thing that killed women outside of old age before the 20th century. And so it, it could be, hey, if, if you continue on and follow the Lord in faith and love and holiness, then, then the Lord's going to protect you in childbirth. Very definitely could mean that. The other thing it could mean is that um, in their culture, right, like raising a family and having a family was, was what was seen as what a woman should do. And so he's saying, hey, don't fight the culture. Just show in, in living in ways that honor others and honor what God's created you to be. Live in those ways with faith and love and holiness and propriety. Live into that and show other people around you that, that, that following Jesus is something good. Don't, don't be weird, okay? So it could mean that as well. So that's, that's the answer to that. No one's asking the question, but some of you thought that was weird, right? That's a weird verse. It's always weirded me out. Okay, here's, here's what I want to talk about. Um, before we, we dig into this, and I've got like five key things I want to teach on this, uh, I want to go to another verse, because I think we see this. We see... Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And if, if you believe in the Bible and you take it literally like I do, you say, okay, case closed. 
For a long time, I believe that women should not be pastors and teachers and in leadership in a church based on this. The other, the other thing I based it on was the fact that Paul doesn't just say this, then he grounds it in the story of Adam and Eve. He goes all the way back to creation and says women shouldn't be in leadership, and here's your example from the foundation of the earth in creation. Here's, here's the reason why. And for a long time, I thought, that's it. Boom, case closed. It's clear, and he grounds it in creation. Before we address this, I want to show you another command that's clear and is grounded in the story of creation. And let's see how we feel about this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Can we throw that up on the screen here? Paul's writing, and he's talking about, again, prophesying and praying in the Corinthian church, and they're the troublemakers, all that. He says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers, covered dishonors his head. And you said, say what? And then he says, but every woman who prays or prophesies, there's the praying and prophesying, with her head uncovered dishonors her head. All right, so dudes, don't take your hats off when you pray. That's that kind of idea there. And we're like, in the South, we're like, oh yeah, of course, take your hats off when you pray. And then he says, but ladies, put your hats on when you pray. And we're like, oh, we haven't done that since about 1950. And then it is the same as having her head shaved. So in other words, like, it's, it's that bad, having your head shaved, right? Uh, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Paul very clearly says here, if a woman is praying or prophesying, cover your hair up. Period. Later on, a few verses, if you want to flip to this, a few verses later, he grounds this command in the creation narrative. He talks about how woman was formed, and he grounds all this. Now, there are some church traditions who have the women cover their hair. And they say, women, don't cut your hair short. I was in Papua New Guinea a few years ago, back when I was in college. And there's, there's a certain group down there that was around where I was, and they were actually having a big conference where I was. And in Papua New Guinea, most of the, hair, most of the ladies keep their hair very short due to what their hair is like and sanitation reasons and other things. But there's this one group that said ladies should not cut their hair short. And so these ladies are trying to grow their hair out, even though it doesn't really work for them very well, trying to grow their hair out, and they cover their heads. You'll see people like this around as well. A lot of Mennonites will cover their head, and the ladies will put on a bonnet. And so pretty much here's the thing. If you want to interpret this very literally and exactly what Paul says, you should probably put a bonnet on, ladies. Now, I don't necessarily say that to make fun of you. I'm just saying if, if, you, want to, if you want to follow this, like bonnet up. You know what I'm saying? Like forget the mask. Move it from here to here if you want to be what's right. Like you've already got one. Go ahead and put it on your head if you're going to pray or do anything else like that. That's what Paul's saying. It's very clear what he's saying. Now, we look at it, we say, okay, there's cultural understandings. There's a certain way they understood what hair meant, and there's a certain way they understood what it meant for ladies to have their heads uncovered. I mean, Paul is here, he's like, you know, any, any man who prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and we're like, how does that dishonor it? There's a clear cultural understanding. We know this. Culture influences so much in this world. But we look at this and we understand that. Okay, let's flip back to 1 Timothy now. Are there maybe cultural factors going here that we miss out on? Because here's the thing. When the letters are written to groups of people, the people understood it. This letter is written to Timothy. Timothy would have read this and been like, oh, yep, got it. We're looking at it, and we've got we've to try to understand what's going on here. I want to give you five points to help us interpret what's going on right here. Here's the first point. We know that there was false teaching in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is where Timothy was. 
We know there's false teaching because of stuff that Paul says in the letter of 1 Timothy. Also the letter of 2 Timothy, which we don't know for sure was written to Timothy in Ephesus, but there's a high likelihood that it was. And we're told a couple things about these false teachers. First of all, they were likely men, but women may have been spreading the false teaching. Remember, women were uneducated, more easily duped or tricked by false teaching because their knowledge of Scripture wouldn't have been as strong. So we're told, for instance, in 1 Timothy 5.13 that, that ladies shouldn't, they're going around causing issues in other people's houses, could be the false teaching they're spreading. We're also told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 that these false teachers would come and prey on weak-minded women. Does this mean women are weak-minded? No, what it means is these women they were preying on, that they were communicating their falsehood to, weren't as educated. So there seems to be a real issue where women were the target, or at least more susceptible to this false teaching. And this false teaching, based on what uh, Paul teaches here, may have elevated women into su to superiority over men. So think of like a really early kind of strong feminism that said women are better than men. That may have been what this, one of the things this false teaching did. So that's the first point is Paul is addressing a context in which there's false teaching going around and women seem to be very closely connected to that false teaching. Here's the second thing. We've already said this. Women needed to learn. Paul starts this off and he said a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So Paul wants women, and he's emphasizing here, the women here need to learn. They need to be educated. They need to grow in their knowledge. At this time, and women, women were uneducated. And Paul said they need to learn. And then he says this, she must be quiet. Right there in verse 12, she must be quiet. That word quiet there is used earlier in this chapter in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You know who's supposed to be quiet? Lead quiet lives? All of us. The word quiet here is used to ground us. It's, a, it's the posture of a learner. I want to be quiet so I can learn. Not just shut up. It's no, no silence myself so I can learn. And, and in Greek culture, Greek society, when someone was speaking, you could ask questions, but they had to be educated questions or it would be rude and disrespectful to the teacher. And apparently there was some of that going on here. Here's the, here's the third thing we need to know, and this is a key one. This is something you're not going to see. Almost all the time, Our English, the, the Bible is the best translated book in the history of the world. The translations are amazing that you have. And just know, like, all, just about every verse you read has been written about and debated and studied, and there's great translations. However, there are times when the translation is tricky. Here's one of them. Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority. The word, there's one word that's assume authority. Your Bible may say exercise authority. That word is authentane. Somebody say authentane. Yeah, I like that. You sound like you're ready to have some women not assume authority. That word in, in the Greek is not used a lot. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. Only time it's used in the Bible. And we don't have a lot of examples of it used in the Greek. It's a word Paul doesn't use any other time. The word authentane can mean everything from murder someone Two, a couple centuries after this, we have evidence of it mean assume authority. Around this time, often it carried with it a sense of to dominate or to domineer over something. Paul, other places, talks about having authority, and he never uses this word. So I believe, based on studying all the uses of this I can find throughout the ancient Greek world of all the documents we have, I believe this is better translated. I'm not, now, I'm not permitting a woman to teach or to dominate over a man. 
Because remember, okay, so th- th- I'm about to give you something else that's key, but, but, th- but remember, the, the false teaching may have included this element of putting women over men in superiority. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not, you can't do that. You can't come in and try to dominate. Rather, instead of dominating, you need to be quiet. Put yourself in a posture of learning. It seems like here in Ephesus, they're dealing with the same issue that people in Corinth were dealing with as well. Uh, two final things to help us understand this. In Ephesus, they worshiped Artemis. Artemis was a female deity. And in the worship of the female deity, females were raised, and you also have this level of, the, of worship of Artemis where ladies were elevated as superior over men. So when Paul says don't dominate a man, he, he may be speaking to these cultural influences that were finding their way into the church from the worship of Artemis. Here's the final thing. I think this is very helpful as well. The words for man and woman in the Greek are the same words for husband and wife. So if you said, spoke to your wife, hey, wife, you'd say, hey, woman, it's the same thing. Woman, wife, wife, woman, same thing. So in Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives. You could translate that, men love women. Or it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It could be, women, submit to men. But we know that's not what it means. It's about marriage relationship. It's likely here that he's saying, I don't permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over her husband. In other words... Don't, don't dominate over, because in Ephesians 5, there's a clear order to the family, right? The, the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus, same thing. There's a clear order in the family. The husband is the head. And so he's saying, don't, don't try to subvert that, ladies, with what you're doing. Okay. So taking all those cultural factors into consideration, I believe what this verse is saying contextually is uneducated ladies of Ephesus, don't try to stand up and disrupt to teach, to dominate over your husband. Rather, put yourself in a position of a learner and grow. But Paul is clear. Women can be apostles. Women can be deacons. Women can prophesy. Women can pray in front of a church. Women can have places of leadership within the church. I believe just like 1 Corinthians 11 with women with head coverings, this is communicating. There's a principle here. There's truth here. But it's not saying that women should not ever teach or should not ever have authority. It's saying they shouldn't dominate over others. Now, here's the thing. You may disagree. And can I tell you that's okay? But as a church, we've come to this place where we have decided based on the Bible, not in spite of the Bible, but based on the Bible, we believe women have roles at every level of ministry. Why is this important? What's the big? I'm going to give you two quick takeaways, and then we're going to wrap up today. Two quick takeaways are this. We submit our lives to the Word of God. If today you came in and you thought women shouldn't be in ministry and you saw this and you think now they should, you did, then you should affirm it. If you thought when you came in today and thought women should be in ministry and today you thought that's not very convincing and now you think they shouldn't be in ministry based on God's word, then have your position. We submit ourselves to God's word. And here's the second thing. We believe everyone has a spiritual gift they should use. And a foundry, if you're a woman and your spiritual gift is apostleship, we want to raise you up to raise other people up. We want you to use your spiritual gift. If you're a man and your gift is serving, we want to help you serve others. If you're a woman and your gift is healing, please do some healing, right? We want to see that. If you're a man and your gift is a gift of leadership, stand up and be a leader. We want you to use that gift. We want to be people who use our gifts to honor God. And we believe that God has given his spirit to all people. He's gifted all people for all places of ministry and a foundry, we affirm that. So can women preach, teach, and be pastors? We believe yes. We think scripture is clear enough on this point. We get that there's ambiguity and discussion over it, but we believe women can and should preach, teach, and be pastors.